Hi, and welcome to this audio edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. On this program, we discuss polygamy and Mormon fundamentalism from a biblical Christian perspective. We talk about the history of polygamy, its modern-day fruit, share stories from people who have escaped polygamy, and talk about current events relating to polygamy. You can learn more about the video edition of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. And now, here's Doris. Welcome to our show tonight. I'm your host, Doris Hansen, and this is Polygamy, What Love Is This? And we're here tonight, as we are every Thursday night, to talk about polygamy. Of course, our co-host is here, Earl Erskine. Thank you. (laughs) It's good to have you tonight, and we do hope that our uh, our viewers enjoy what we plan. It's really good to talk about (laughs) tonight. Really interesting. Before we get started, however, we do have an announcement um, that we would like to make. One that gives us sadness as well as anticipation to discover what God's future plans for our show might be. The imminent sale of this television station is a definite possibility, and when the sale becomes final, the present programming will no longer be broadcast from TV20. Now, we want you to know this in advance, to stop rumors before they start, and to prepare you for the changes that we will make uh, in order to continue broadcasting our messages. Our plans include internet broadcasting, and we will provide more details for you in the weeks to come to make sure that you don't miss a single show. Internet broadcasting is the wave of the future, in fact, has already taken a prominent place in today's communications. We will also provide simple instructions for you on how to view our internet broadcast on your television set. And for our Christian viewers, we ask that you pray that God will intervene so that we don't lose the present TV20 programming. We know that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above whatever we can ask or whatever we can even think to ask. So please pray. And Earl, I believe this is going to affect your show too on Friday nights. Yeah, we tape our show. This Yours, of course, is live, but we tape ours and are usually a month or two out in advance. So we're not sure of our future either, Uh but our plan is to use some of these uh, additional tools after uh, whatever happens with the station and Uh use those to continue broadcasting people's stories about coming from Mormonism into Christianity. And your show is doing very well. I hear great reports on it. We do get some good feedback and some other interesting feedback as well. Right. uh, Right. And of course we want our viewers to understand that we're not discontinuing our shows. That's the first thing we want you to know. And nobody's forcing us off the air. That's not what's going on either. We, We will just simply be transitioning to internet-based broadcasting. There are simple ways to connect your computer to your television set so that you can watch computer-based shows on your regular television. And of course, we will do all we can to help make sure that you will be able to continue to watch the program uninterrupted by any changes that may happen with TV20. Two weeks ago, Lynn Wilder was our guest on this show, and together we discussed the problem of sexual abuse situations that both she and I have become aware of as a result of our ministering to the Mormon culture, both polygamy and the mainstream LDS. We had a guest in our live audience that night who herself had suffered extreme sexual abuse growing up in the Mormon church. We have both received numerous personal emails and phone 
phone calls from women who needed to talk to, to someone because they had no one in their Mormon environment in whom they could trust to confide their painful experiences. A few days after that show, I was perplexed to receive an email from a woman who has in the past and quite frequently uh, criticized our show and our format. And we would like to share with you what she wrote. I think your statistics of molesting in the church were rather high. Maybe it is in the polygamy groups, but it certainly isn't in, mainstream, in the mainstream church. I'm not saying that it doesn't happen, just not as much as your guest said it does. I personally have been a member of the church all my life, and I know of only one, and that happened about 20 years ago, and the person who did it was just recently excommunicated for it. I've been in the same ward and with the same people for going on 31 years, so I know them pretty well. And it isn't hidden like you say it is. It is taken care of as it should be. Well, this kind of perplexed me, yeah. what she wrote. Yeah. In her first statement, she said she knew of only one incident in her ward, and that was 20 years ago. And then she said it was just recently dealt with. It was interesting. It took 20 years to deal with it. That's a problem. Besides that, we quoted from two Deseret News articles and from Glenn Place. Pace, does that woman know more than, than they know? And then she said that the abuse isn't hidden like we said it is. Well, we all need to realize one thing. No one knows what they don't know. How would she know what's been hidden if it's hidden? Does she know everybody's secrets? Aren't these kinds of problems supposed to be handled without the knowledge of everyone in the ward? Or is she privileged to know everything that's going on? One thing is certain, Joseph Smith was a pedophile. He took young girls as plural wives, girls that were more than three times younger than he was, and he used his authority as a spiritual leader and prophet to seduce them into his bed. He used God as the one who forced polygamy on the women and threatened Emma with destruction if she refused. Why don't we get remarks from our viewers criticizing Joseph Smith's behavior instead of getting remarks criticizing us for talking about it? Do you really think it was the right thing for Joseph Smith to do? If he was a fallen prophet, as many say he was, then he was really no prophet at all, and he needs to be ignored and rejected and renounced. There's not a single true prophet in the Bible who ever behaved like Joseph Smith did. Jesus said that the bad root produces bad fruit, and that is what we see with sexual sexuality and Mormonism. We want to share with you tonight a few historical remarks taught from the early Mormon pulpit. Now, if you want to call us anti-Mormon and call us names, go for it, because this is from Mormon history. These statements are from the leadership, and they establish the root and the foundation of what we see in today's Mormonism and in polygamy. January 14th, 1848. <laughs> yeah, these next several uh, quotes that we have are taken from D. Michael Quinn's book, The Mormon Hierarchy, Extensions of Power, and of course refer to this book as you uh, can. But in January 14, 1848, Brigham Young instructs 70s meeting at a, at a 70s meeting, for the first act of adultery you may forgive a man, but if a man beds with a woman and does it 10 times, he is guilty. 
So a man can commit adultery 10 times before he's guilty. Because we have a standard. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess. We wonder how many times Brigham Young would allow a woman to commit adultery before she was found yeah, guilty. I think that would have been the very first time. A different story. Yeah. Another but different story is we wonder how many times God allows adultery before he calls it being guilty. Yeah. The next one's from March of 1848. Benjamin Covey is excommunicated for having sexual intercourse with, my goodness, intercourse <laughs> with two girls less than 12 years of age who are his foster daughters. He is rebaptized and serves as bishop of, Salt, of the Salt Lake 12th Ward from 20, uh, February 22nd, 1849 until 1856. Now this really bothers me. First of all, this Benjamin Covey yeah. was a pedophile. Yeah. He had sex with two of his foster daughters. They were under 12 under years 12. old. And then he was allowed to be a bishop less than a year later. Yeah. Is that normal in <laughs> your knowledge of what they do well, now? No, no. No, it isn't. Do they hold them back longer than that for something well, like that? You know, it's interesting because we do have people who divorce over adultery situations, and the men oftentimes are able to come back to the church and then wait their year period, and then they get reinstated with their priesthood and hmm. their... Uh, and their temple recommends. So it just so, uh, the, the year is the key yeah there. year. Whether they would ever be called as a bishop again, I don't know, but they certainly would be Boy, that's be put back into good standing as far as their priesthood and their mm -hmm. temple recommend is concerned. But to be put in a leadership position, that's something else. Yeah. Okay, October eighth, eighteen fifty-four. Yeah, in what Apostle Wilfred Woodruff describes as the greatest sermon that ever was delivered to the Latter Day Saints since they've been a people. Brigham Young announces from the pulpit, I believe in sisters marrying brothers and brothers having their sisters for wives. Why? Because we cannot do otherwise. Young's secretary, George D. Watt, has already married his own half-sister as a plural wife. Her letter to Young shows that he was initially unfavorable toward allowing them to marry, but this sermon reveals theological basis for Young's authorizing Watt's brother-sister marriage and the three children born of their union. So Brigham Young here is establishing and blessing Mormon's practice of incest. Now we've talked on the show previously about the Kingston polygamy group that promotes and marries half-brothers and sisters with each other. And I've heard people just gasp over that, as they should. Yeah. But it was the prophet Brigham Young who said it was the thing to do. Most interesting, however, is that God has said not to do it. The biblical guidelines to recognize a prophet has been trashed by Mormonism to favor these men who make their own rules as they go along, rules that appeal to the base instincts of the flesh and patriarchal favoritism. I was going to ask you though, does this, are you aware of these quotes from your polygamy days and the polygamy groups quote Wilfred Woodruff like this that he did? They quote all of the Mormon, early Mormon prophets to Joseph F. Smith because yeah. they were all polygamous. So they would then use after this that, to they help don't. support their, oh, yes. their polygamy. Absolutely. Oh, mm -hmm. boy. So this was from April 1858. Bishop of Payson, his brother the sheriff, and several members of their LDS congregation join in shooting to death 22-year-old Henry Jones and his mother, Mrs. Hannah Jones Hatch for committing incest by which she has a daughter. The men also kill infant and also castrate brother and father. 
perpetrators are indicted next year but not brought to trial. When indicted again in 1889, Desert News article criticizes trial of this antiquated pace and homicide as anti-Mormon crusade against those who were justifiably disgusted and greatly incensed against the brutal mother and son. Former sheriff is convicted of murder, former bishop is acquitted. <laughs> I tell you, here, this is some story. Here we have incest, murder, cruel and unusual punishment, circumventing the legal process, and favoritism to the religious bishop while the, the sheriff is convicted. As much as Mormon history reveals, especially when it deals with sexuality and polygamy, there was little justice in those early days and a great deal of favoritism. And watch your ears for this one. August 1866. <laughs> Brigham Young preaches from the pulpit. Mary, of course, this is Mary from the Bible, mm -hmm. the wife of Joseph had another husband, which is God. Mm. On this account, infidels have called the Savior a bastard. He was begotten by God, our Heavenly Father. She was a polyandrist like the women he authorized in 1857. Now the word polyandry, of course, means a woman with multiple husbands. Yeah. Brigham Young, says authorized polyandry in 1857. So he authorized a woman to have more than one husband. Of course, he had, he was involved in that himself, and so yeah, was Joseph, Joseph Smith. Had 11 of them. But yeah, 11. But here again is a false and blasphemous foundation laid by them for their sexually immoral religious practices and to claim that Jesus' mother Mary had two husbands. Isn't that a little over the top? <laughs> yes, I, I think so. But I've recently received criticism for saying that the virgin birth is not, uh, or that God didn't come down and have a relationship with Mary. Hmm. But it's throughout Mormon doctrine mm -hmm. that, it, uh, yeah. that it's true. It is. So this is from June of 1870. First Counselor George A. Smith tells Salt Lake School of the Prophets about the evil of masturbation among Utah Mormons. Apostle Lorenzo Snow says that plural marriage would tend to diminish this evil self-pollution, and he believes that indulgence on the part of men was less in plural marriage than in monogamy. This is interesting. <laughs> Elder George Reynolds, secretary to Brigham Young, also tells the school that where monogamy was the law, it compelled a more frequent sexual cohabitation than is right and proper. Medical, Mormon medical books of the time advise sexual intercourse only once a month. Now, this is, uh, this is so amazes me that a church would get involved in this kind of situ personal situations. Yeah. Uh, we're supposed to preach the gospel and let God take care of the rest. We wonder who obtained <laughs> these statistics and how do they know they're correct? And where do they get their biblical authority to even address this kind of particular behavior? Yeah. Why were they and why are they now so focused on this particular sexual activity of their male members? It's really no one's business. There's only one mediator between God and man, and that mediator is Jesus Christ, not some bishop or any other sinner who thinks that he can play God to another sinner. He said, Mormon medical books advise sexual relations only once a month. 
surely that was only for the woman yeah. because a polygamous man with multiple wives to consider <laughs> once a month for him would no. never work. No. It, it <laughs> not, each, the, huh? not the polygamous system. But anyway, these these historical, and these are only a few of what was available to use, but they, these uh, events regarding sex and marriage and Mormonism have been compiled from the extensive historical uh, church chronology uh, by D. Michael Quinn from his book, The Mormon Hierarchy, Extensions of Power. And for further references, you can go to the book. You can also go to the website, um, i4m.com slash think and so on. And you can get a lot of good information from these two resources. And then, of course, there is the originating prophet, Joseph Smith. He set the pattern and wrote the scripture, uh, giving open permission for all Mormon men to practice sexual immorality under the guise of celestial plural marriage. He laid the foundation. He set the root in place. There is so much sexuality, sermons on sex and marriage, sermons on privilege and priesthood to males and servitude servitude of the Mormon female, and that same foundation remains to this day for both the LDS and the Mormon polygamists. But God doesn't show favoritism. God doesn't place women into servitude underneath the male. And when God created male and female to live together, He did it on an equal basis that the woman is just as equal in all things as the male in God's eyes biblically. There are at least 33 wives of Joseph Smith that are well documented as having been his plural wives. Now, some historians have counted as many as 48 wives. The LDS Church finally acknowledged as many as 40 wives of Joseph Smith. However, Todd Compton, a Mormon historian who is a member of the LDS Church, has documented beyond question 33 plural wives, which are detailed in his book, In Sacred Loneliness. And we quote from that book quite frequently on this show. Another book that we quote frequently from is by George D. Smith, and it's entitled Nauvoo Polygamy, but we called it Celestial Marriage, where he documents Joseph Smith as having 38 plural wives, and possibly six additional women could be added to that number. We've dedicated many of our shows and many hours to the subject of Joseph Smith's polygamy, his denial of it, the official church's denial of it, the denials of church leaders both then and now. Yet just recently, the LDS church, beaten down with the facts coming at them from all directions, was finally forced to admit what they had previously denied, that Joseph Smith had married between 30 and 40 plural wives. They downplayed the chicanery and involved with these marriages, but admitted he married women who were already legally married and living with their husbands, and that Smith married a 14-year-old girl. Well, actually, he married two 14-year-old girls. Now, we decided we'd dedicate some of our shows to each wife of Joseph Smith. Some of this information may shock you. Some of it may be old hat to many of our viewers. Either way, there's enough documentation to show that Joseph Smith's polygamy was an urging of his flesh rather than a holy command from God. We'll begin tonight with Joseph Smith's first two polygamous companions, if we get have the time <laughs> to get through them both, Fanny Alger and Lucinda Pendleton Morgan Harris. 
We'll start with Fanny. Uh, Joseph Smith and Emma moved to Ohio in 1831, and it was there that Joseph Smith actually met the majority of his future plural wives, and most of them were pre-teen pre yeah. at that time when he first met them, and most of them were children of Joseph Smith's close associates. Several of his plural wives-to-be were also servants in the Smith's private home. He made it very convenient for himself yeah, <laughs> to observe and choose future plural wives from these uh, girls. About the time that their first son, Joseph Smith III, was born in Kirtland in 1831, Joseph met 14-year-old Fanny Alger. Emma, his wife, had hired her to help around the house. And we quote from Nauvoo Polygamy, page 38. Before long, talk about Joseph echoed Fanny's name, maybe as early as 1832, but certainly from 1833 to 1835. The ensuing scandal contributed to the dissent that swept the church in 1837 to 1838, even after Fanny had left town and married someone else. So actually, Emma found her husband yeah. rolling in the hay with Fanny, and subsequently Oliver Cowdery referred to it as a dirty, nasty, filthy affair. Now, if they were married, he wouldn't have, <laughs> he wouldn't said, have said that. that yeah. Joseph expelled Oliver Cowdery from the church because he called it for what it was. And this is the first well-documented case of extramarital relations by Joseph Smith. Many uh, people claim that Fanny was his first plural wife, and they say that in order to sanitize his affair from adultery to celestial marriage. <laughs> we quote from page 39 of Nauvoo Polygamy. LDS leaders Heber C. Kimball and Joseph F. Smith also accepted as fact that Smith must have married Alger. Smith's grammar teacher alleged more specifically that Joseph must have been sealed secretly to Fanny Alger in Kirtland. Just to be sure, Alger was sealed to the deceased prophet by proxy in the Salt Lake Temple in 1899. 1899, years uh, later, that's just, a lot of years later. Just to clarify, that was a <laughs> celestial marriage. Right. Yeah. right. However, there is no evidence at all anywhere that Joseph and Fanny were ever sealed in a plural marriage. But it is well documented that they were seen and caught in the act. We uh, quote from page 41 <laughs> what William McClellan said about this incident. That the rumor in circulation was that she, Emma, had, had missed Joseph and Fanny Alger on evening and went to the barn and saw him and Fanny in the barn together alone. She looked through a crack in the barn door and saw the transaction. According to McClellan, Emma told him this story was verily true. So Emma saw it happen. Yeah. Benjamin Johnson also mentioned his affair with Fanny saying that she enjoyed the attention of the prophet. Well, enjoying his attention is putting it mildly, I'd say. Now, the third report about this affair, we quote from page 42. Emma was furious and drove the girl, who was unable to conceal the consequences of her celestial relation with the prophet, out of the house. There is no evidence to corroborate the claim that Fanny was pregnant. Yet, isn't that why Joseph Smith wrote in the Book of Mormon that polygamy might be acceptable to bring yeah, up a righteous seed? A righteous seed, that's right. And there was quite an uproar with the people against Joseph Smith about his affair with Fanny Alger, and we quote from page 42. 
There was much excitement against the prophet over the unlawful intercourse between himself and a young orphan girl residing in his family and under his protection. So Fanny Alder was the young yeah. orphan girl yeah. uh, working in the home under the watchful eye of Joseph Smith. Fanny Alger lived with the Smith household for three years. She later moved to Indiana and married a man who was not a Mormon, and they raised nine children together. There are at least five different accounts that verify Joseph Smith's intimacy with Fanny Alger, but not a single one that confirms a plural marriage ceiling. In 1835, Joseph Smith included a statement in the Doctrine and Covenants that responded to a widespread claim that the church was guilty of fornication and polygamy. The statement asserted that its policy was one wife and one husband and explained that the wording was selected from the revelations of God. We quote from page 43 of Nauvoo Polygamy. Yeah. Whether intentionally or not, the statement tempered the Book of Mormon position that God might someday command His people to raise up seed. So the Doctrine and Covenant says one thing, the Book yeah. of Mormon says something else. So God, He either is going to <laughs> command polygamy or not. Was this, he, sec was this section 101? Uh-huh, it's the one they that, took out. The uh -huh. Doctrine and Covenants 101. Mm -hmm. God, and God doesn't yo-yo with his doctrine. You no. know, it either is or it isn't. But Joseph Smith yo-yoed with it. The church accepted the Doctrine and Covenants statement of monogamy, which for all intents and purposes rejected and prohibited polygamy, period. But they were still living polygamy in the background within the leadership. You know, it's strange that in 1876, 40 years later, they removed the monogamy statement and inserted section 132, the polygamy doctrine. They have a strange God indeed, who so radically changes his mind just to suit the behavior and the desires of men. So polygamists today, those who are watching, you can reject all, what, whatever your polygamous leadership threatens you with, if they say God commands it, because we urge you to learn the truth about God and the truth of God's plan for eternal life. It's not polygamy. Polygamy has no part of His plan for eternal life. It's all about Jesus and no one and nothing else. And we do urge you to check this out. So that's his first wife. <laughs> wow, and that's very well documented. It is. Yeah. And, and again, she probably really wasn't his wife, but they have to call her yeah. his wife to make it look okay or else it's going to be adultery. Yeah, what's interesting in the introduction of section 132, it gives a date of, I think, 1843. And then in the heading it says, but this may have been known to the prophet as early as 1831. Uh-huh. Kind of a convenient comment Going to back to Fanny Alger there yeah, without yeah. using her name. May have been known as early as 1831. Yeah, and, and what always um, kind of perplexed me about that was if uh, it was a necessity for eternal life, for exaltation, yeah. which he says it is, yeah. it, not to be damned. If you'll be right. damned if you don't if do you it. Don't Why would he withhold a truth that would keep people from damnation for that many years? Why would he withhold a doctrine that would give them exaltation yeah. for that many years if that's it really right. was yeah, that's what true. he says that's it was? That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah, he was so quiet about it. And then even at that, it was usually the select group around him 
that was taught the doctrine initially, wasn't mm -hmm. it? Yeah. And so favoritism prevails, yeah. and only they get to be exalted because only they had the opportunity to learn it and live it. Now that sounds like a strange prophet Something's of wrong. God. Yeah, something's wrong with that picture. Yeah. That, that's <laughs> not God. That isn't God. Okay, well, um, we're halfway through the show, which is normally the time we take the break, so we'll take our break, open up the phone lines, but then we will continue on with his second wife, who is Lucinda Pendleton Morgan Harris. So we will open up our telephones right now. Our phone number is 801-973-8820, um, 973-TV20. So give us a call if you have a question or a comment as we share this message with you. You are watching Polygamy, What Love Is This? Broadcasting live from Salt Lake City, Utah. This program is the broadcast outreach of A Shield and Refuge Ministry. Shield and Refuge is a point of first contact for Mormon fundamentalists who question the doctrines of the religion or who are actively seeking for an opportunity to escape the polygamist lifestyle. Examining the claims of fundamentalist doctrine against the backdrop of biblical truth is central to our efforts. We invite you to contact us. Call toll-free at 877-425-9993 or email us at tv at aboutpolygamy.com. We have made available to you some outstanding resources free of charge. You will find them at our website, www.whatloveisthis.tv. While you are at our website, make sure to take advantage of the archived episodes of this program, which can stream on demand directly to your computer. And if someone you know is unable to view this program via live broadcast, recommend that they visit this same website every Thursday at 8 p.m. Mountain Time to watch this show through live streaming video. If you are watching live tonight, we invite you to call us as we open our phone lines. The number is 801-973-TV20. That's 801-973-8820. Now, back to Polygamy, What Love Is This? with our host, Doris Hansen. Welcome back to our show, Polygamy, What Love Is This? I'm Doris Hansen, your host, and our co-host, Earl Erskine. And we've been talking uh, tonight a little bit about the show we did two weeks ago, yeah. um, the sexual immorality going on in the early Mormon church. And we started um, going through some of Joseph Smith's plural wives. We did Fanny Alger, his first uh, plural wife, maybe, maybe right. not, but at least his first uh, well-known sexual affair. And uh, he, she was um, a very young girl. I think she was 16 years old at the time. Mm. Um, and the, the next plural wife that we want to talk about is Lucinda Pendleton Morgan Harris. Now our telephone lines are open if you want to give us a call. If you have a comment or a question, we'd love to talk to you. So just give us a call. Uh, now, um, Lucinda Pendleton Morgan Harris um, is another one who there really isn't a lot of documentation about a ceiling, but there was a relationship. On July uh, 30th of 2009, on our show number 2.30, Dorothy Catlin portrayed Lucinda Pendleton. Now you can go to our website, whatloveisthis.tv, and click Shows Online, click 2009, and scroll down to 2.30, and watch the entire show for some real good information about this second plural wife of Joseph Smith. And because the information has already been covered on a previous program, we won't go into great detail tonight, but we'll summarize with some very interesting information about this second plural wife. 
Now, Lucinda Pendleton Morgan Harris was the widow of William Morgan, who was an anti-Masonry martyr. He had been a Mason. He had written an expose on Masonry, but he was kidnapped and murdered because before he was able to print this expose. Now, most of Masonry is practiced in secret. In fact, those who enter into Masonry take oaths to never reveal their secrets on pain of death, which is precisely what Joseph Smith stole and put into the Mormon temple, temple. Yeah, ceremonies. That sounds very familiar. Uh, <laughs> yes. In fact, because Joseph Smith stole the Masonic handshakes and symbols and oaths and some of the ceremonial and ritual observances, many people think that the Masons may have been at least part of the mob that stormed the jail at Carthage, uh, killing Hiram and Joseph Smith. But when, when William Morgan was killed, Lucinda became a widow, and that was in September of 1826. She remarried four years later to George Washington Harris. Now let's go forward a few years from there. Sarah Pratt reported while in Nauvoo in 1842 that Lucinda admitted to being Joseph Smith's mistress for the past four years. Now, documentation indicates that Joseph Smith stayed with the Harris family in 1838, and other indi uh, history indicates that Lucinda and Smith were married in 1838. Joseph Smith was legally married to Emma, and Lucinda was legally married to George Washington mm. Harris, an active, prominent Mormon who was a high counselor. Now, this, of course, made Joseph Smith and Lucinda adulterers, yep. according to God's Word. <coughs> Todd Compton from In Sacred Loneliness writes this. He often married women while he was living in the same house with them, and the Sarah Pratt statement correlates with the year 1838 as well. Smith, Smith was 32 at the time, and Lucinda was 36, so he was the first of her husbands who was not an older man. George Harris may have given permission for the marriage, since he was a close friend of Smith and a church leader. He later stood proxy for Smith in the Nauvoo Temple as his wife was sealed to the dead prophet for eternity. Wow. Now, as was normal with Joseph Smith's polyandrous marriages, Lucinda continued to live with her legal husband while maintaining a plural wife relationship with Joseph Smith. Now again, all of this sordid sexuality is in gross opposition to Jesus' teachings against adultery and that there are no eternal marriages in heaven. Now I have a question. What justification can possibly be valid for the married woman Lucinda and the married man Joseph Smith, each married to someone else, to maintain a relationship in what they call celestial plural marriage? Is it moral? And where in the Bible is there any indication that God smiles on that kind of behavior? Lucinda admitted to a four-year affair with Joseph Smith. Does God command immorality? We read from page 52 of In Sacred Loneliness. On January 22, 1846, Lucinda was sealed to Joseph for eternity and to George for time in a proxy marriage. This sealing seems to show George's awareness of his wife's connection to Joseph, and it certainly indicates his willingness to deliver up Lucinda to Joseph in the next life. Now that sealing was in 1846. That was after he died. Right. 
and another question, if eternal marriage were true, which according to all that Jesus taught, it's not true, but the Mormon polygamists believe it's true. How can Lucinda's husband, himself a Mormon, peacefully stand proxy for another man while his wife chooses to be married to this other man for eternity instead of to himself? Surely there was some heartbreak taking place in his heart it's as very well. Strange. It is strange. Yeah. When Joseph Smith was killed in 1844, Lucinda became a widow the second time, even though she was still married to George Harris. And Harris remained a high counselor and was president of the city council. Eventually, however, they split up, as we read in Todd Compton's book in Sacred Loneliness. It is certain that she had left George by 1853. An 1850 census shows him living alone. Lucinda's later life is shrouded in mystery. Only a few scattered details are known. And since she apparently did not travel west to Utah and left no descendants who remain Mormon, Latter-day Saint history has no further mention of her. However, a Mason oh. writer picked up on Lucinda's story. And this is part of what he wrote. Mrs. Harris afterward joined the Catholic Sisters of Charity and at the breaking out of the Civil War was acting in that capacity in the hospitals at Memphis, Tennessee. Lucinda, after her many years in Mormonism and her close relationship with the founding prophet, is last seen as a Catholic. She must have discovered that the Mormon Church wasn't true after all. Yeah, I don't know about that ceiling now with Joseph, how that will work out for her. But. Well. <laughs> We've discovered that Mormon isn't true after all as yeah, well. That's true. Well, our phone lines are open, and we have a couple of calls waiting. If you want to give us a call, we'd love to hear from you, 801-973-8820. So we are going to take uh, the first call, Duane from Bountiful. Hello, Duane. Duane, you need to turn your volume down. Uh, can you hear me? I can hear you. Yes, you're on the air. Okay. Um it's my understanding that Heber J. Grant had three wives. Yes, he did. And I just want to know if, if that's true. Yes. And see, he was the president during World War II and up mm -hmm. until about 1946. Yes, he was. He had so three... Polygamy, so polygamy goes clear up until uh, about 1946. Well, he wasn't living with all three wives that long because two of them died. Well, actually, three of them end up dying. Uh, but when he was president, two of his wives had, had died. So he wasn't living polygamy at the time, but he never walked away from the polygamy doctrine. He always believed in it. And one, one strange thing about him is he married sisters. Uh, they were either he married them either both the same day or in mm. one 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 day and the, another sister the following day, which is really so weird. He, so he did have three wives at one. At time. one time he had three wives. He was a polygamist with three wives. Yes, and I think he was the last. He was the last to have a that we know of. Yeah. 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 Okay. I just wanted to see what you had to say about that. And he never renounced polygamy ever. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks. Okay, we have on line two, Herman calling from Provo. Hello, Herman. Yes, this is Herman. You're on the air. George, I just wanted to say something about, I think the members of the church should know about that. They still practice polygamy in the temple. Because when, I remember when Oaks was bragging on the uh, conference one day that he's married two wives now. His first wife passed away, and his second wife, 
he's married to. That's true. And uh, I, I read constantly in the obituaries, uh, there was one fellow, he had left three wives. <laughs> so they still practice polygamy in my mind. Well, in the temple they do, yes. They, they yeah, still believe exactly right. They still believe in polygamy. In fact, they've already admitted they still believe in polygamy. They just don't practice it, but they do believe that they're going to live it in heaven. And so they're gathering their wives now if they can, as well as they think that's, they'll be given right. wives there. That's right. I, I just wanted to let them know that they still practice polygamy in the temple. Mm-hmm. Yes, they do. The way I feel. Maybe I'm wrong, but that, I think... No, no, no you're right. right. You're right. And and you, you would know that yes, in the yeah. in the handbook sure, from, from all that that says right. that. Okay, thank you, Herman, for your call. Uh -huh. Have a good evening. Thank you. Good night. Good night. Uh, you know, that that is so... I, I think about after I left the polygamy group and, and then after I learned what the Bible really says about all that, I, I often would think and, and I'd think, I'd out, try to outthink all this, just deep thinking, and I would wonder why would anybody believe that for eternal life God would command such a hideous lifestyle, such an ugly thing for the woman, and the male su suffers too, I'm, you know, the... And I don't think most mainstream Mormons can appreciate, other than what you've tried to share with us, what what these poor people go through, both the young men and the, the women and the, the abuse and the just so much negative there. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't sound very godlike, and to require that for when salvation. You, when you compare life. what the Bible says about God being holy, and and kind and loving and 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 everything about him is good. Yeah. Um, why would he bring something that ugly as a as a, a necessity for eternal life? Well, I think There's you I think you said it early on in the, tonight again. Uh, Joseph Smith had a propensity. Every state he lived in, he ended up being accused of some impropriety. Mm -hmm. uh, it, he it, was. You know, and I've lived in several states and I haven't had one yet. So, it's just interesting that he would be so focused on that and I don't know whether that comes from power or control or the ability to manipulate people and the thought process, you know, there's... And that he could. That he could, he could and he learned that on, learned very quickly that he had that kind of charisma and that kind of You know, they, they, they asked uh, President Clinton after the problem that he had while he was yeah, president, they yeah. asked him afterwards, why did you do this? And his answer was, because I could. Yeah. Maybe that's why Joseph Smith, he could. He could get by with it, and he did. And people follow him today as being this awesome, the second only yeah. to Jesus yeah. for being such a wonderful person. Yeah when actually he lied about God and about what the Bible said. And then the church and polygamists lie about his life. Yes. Yeah, and yes. have at least over the past many years tried to cover it up and make it, sanitize it, as you say, mm -hmm. you know, to make yeah. this affair, these affairs seem righteous or somehow a uh, blessed by God or, or and, and And we just have to say, God doesn't change his mind. Um, God said, thou shalt not commit adultery, and he meant it. And that means any sexual activity outside of the marriage covenant, that is adultery, or sexual fornication, that is wrong, biblically. 
that is wrong. God doesn't change. One man and one woman, 1 Corinthians 7, 2. God doesn't change. You who are in polygamy, you want to leave, but you're afraid you'll displease God. You won't. You'll please Him if you leave. He doesn't like polygamy. He never commanded it, and it's not part of salvation. Yeah, and then to have Joseph Smith say that, thus saith the Lord, or yes. that God commanded it, and he drew, an angel drew a sword and forced him to do it, or kill him. Yeah. That doesn't sound very godlike either. It's not. Yeah, it's it just, not if, at all. If, if it, people can just kind of think through that a little bit mm -hmm. and stand back and look at this bigger picture. Yeah. And to. God says anybody who will seek him, if they we'll seek the it. truth, they'll find it. If they truly, yeah. truly want the truth in here, they'll find it. Well, we have the telephone lines open, 801-973-TV20. Give us a call. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, we have some emails that we would like to share. Uh, the first one is um, about Joseph Smith's wives. Do you want to read yeah, I'll that? read that. <laughs> In visiting with our previous bishop, to whom I was a counselor, I mentioned the many wives of Joseph Smith. He replied that he knew about them, but Joseph Smith was only sealed to them and never had sexual relations with any of them. I'm sure that his belief is not true. Where in church history or other history does it tell us what his relationships were with these plural wives? Thanks. Please keep my identity anonymous. <laughs> he doesn't want people to know he's watching our show. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Now, LDS.org has finally admitted that Joseph Smith did live polygamy, that he was sealed to these women and lived with them on a conjugal basis. Um, and so you can go there. Any bishop who is, who is saying that that isn't true, you're not following your church right now because it is true. And he did have sexual relations with his wives. To say he doesn't is just merely a myth. And another famous myth about Joseph Smith's polygamy is that his wives were sealed to him after he died, but both neither one of those are true. That's the one I believed. That's the one you believe. They're all sealed. Now, That's what I thought. Well over 200 were, yeah, but probably. not. Not the, not the original 30, thirty-three. Now, historical testimony confirms that most of Joseph Smith's wives were also his bed partners. And again, the only reason given for Mormon polygamy was to raise up a righteous seed. So keep that in mind when you try to justify Joseph Smith's polygamy by saying he never had any children from them. Why did he marry them then if the only reason was to have children? And if the women were already married, they didn't need another husband to get them pregnant. Reference materials for you to search out your own conclusions. We've talked about on the show Todd Compton, uh, his book In Sacred Loneliness, uh, uh, which we use a lot on the show. He's a Mormon in good standing. All the dates and all the, the footnotes and well, all the... He's gone into journals, uh, as has yes. Nauvoo Polygamy, the George yes. Smith one you mentioned. Mm -hmm. they've, they've gone into the journals of these ladies that came back, and a lot of them married jo uh, Seal Brigham, Brigham Young. Afterwards, or and then they Kimball. wrote about these things and, and discussed the, the, their affairs mm -hmm. or their time. Yeah, another one, uh, one woman asked, uh, was asked if she slept with Joseph Smith while they were married, and she said, I thought you knew him better than that. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, whatever that connotates is something. Anyway, um, another good book is Nauvoo Polygamy by George D. Smith and Michael D. Quinn, uh, or D. Michael Quinn, whom we've talked about tonight also, is another historian, and he's written some very good books on this. Okay, we have calling line one, Karen from Bountiful. Hello, Karen. Hi, Doris. 
And, and Earl, I, I just want to tell you, I'm just so fascinated with your show. I um, am inactive LDS. I was raised in uh, the LDS religion and, of course, was taught that women were uh, not equal to men. And my question is, um, it's kind of off-subject, but um, I'm wondering, I, I haven't read the Bible fully, but... Um, so are, are our spirits and God's spirit gender-specific? Are, are we considered male or female? And then, uh, in addition to that, is there anywhere in the Bible that explains why God decided to come to Earth as a male? Um, I have no idea if our spirits are gender-specific. The Bible doesn't address that. Um, when we look in the, in the Bible, when we read the Bible, the, the word father is not always um, indicating sexuality. It's not indicating a sexual transaction. It also means source. So when we talk about our Father in heaven, He is the source of all creation. He's the source of life. He's the source of all this good. It doesn't mean that He had sexual contact with the Mother in heaven to create us. And I don't believe that a lot of people actually realize that. Uh, Jesus came as a male because, I guess, He wanted to be a male. <laughs> I don't know if there's a theological reason behind that. I'm sure there is. I can't think of one right now. Perhaps there's somebody in our audience who could and, and would like to put some input on this. Um, well, I don't really have any thought on that either, other than the fact that coming as a, a woman to a Jewish uh, community probably would have, there wouldn't have been the respect that, that a male would have and, and the leadership, but uh, and, I don't know and, that either. And, and the male, the father is the source, um, and he's the source of our salvation. Yeah. I don't know, again, theologically, I don't know how that would fit in. That'd be an interesting thing for me to study up. Yeah. Okay. Oh, well, I, I appreciate that. I know it's kind of a boggling question, but uh, um, thank you. That gives me some clarity. Okay, great. Good. I'm glad it did. Thank you, Karen. All right. Bye-bye. Uh-huh. Good night. That okay. That's an interesting thought. Yeah. That was, that was a very interesting question. Mm -hmm. We appreciate that. It's a good question. Okay. Uh, we have... <laughs> We, ho uh, we hope we've answered the last email uh, properly. Now, we do have another email that we get this question quite a, quite a bit. So yeah. every once in a while, we will just revisit, revi it, revisit and, it. And um, <laughs> Why is it you feel the need to attack the Mormon religion rather than love, teach love of all? You are very misinformed. We watched your so show and noticed how you take things out of context to teach false and misleading information. Interesting to know the Mormon Church has never and will never teach hate of other religions. We are taught to allow all to worship how, where, or what they may. Okay, now we do get this a lot. I get this email, telephone call, face-to-face -face sometimes. Yeah, yeah. And so we're not going to take a whole lot of time answering it because we get it constantly. And we always have the same answer. First of all, we want to ask when they say that we are lying or teaching false doctrine or taking something out of context, what is it? 
What did we teach? False. Give us some examples. I would love to apologize for any misinformation that I have ever given or we have ever given on the show. We've been accused of it. You accused us of it. So what is it? Please be specific. Next, we don't attack Mormons. We don't attach the polygamous people. We attack false and non-biblical doctrine that Mormonism embraces, and of course that, that includes polygamy. And our show is primarily to polygamists, not Mormons. But it just so happens that the polygamists believe so much of what the LDS believe. We attack deceitfulness and we use the weapon of truth and we give references and sources of our information. And we ask our critics constantly to tell us where we've been misinformed, where we've taught something out of context, and we're, we've never given, been given an honest answer. Now, the early Mormon leadership hated Christians, and they hated Christianity. They even preached from the pulpit that it was hatched in hell. So why are they fighting to be called Christian? And Joseph Smith called the Christian God a monster. Let's yeah. read what he said. Now, this is taken from the teachings of the prophet Joseph Smith, page 372. Men, many men say there is one God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost are only one God. I say that is a strange God anyhow, three in one and one in three. It is a curious organization. All are to be crammed into one God according to sectarianism. It would make the biggest God in all the world he would be a wonderfully big God. He would be a giant or a monster. Okay, so he gets to call our Christian God a monster, and that's okay. That's not hate. Oh, no. But you know what's really strange? In the front of the Book of Mormon, he's got a short paragraph there who closes that paragraph in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, which Joseph Smith said is one God. Yeah. It says that in the Book of Mormon. So why is he saying now that's not true? He contradicts himself. He does. He, he changed his mind about uh, the nature of God. Uh, this next one from Joseph Smith, History of the Church. I asked the personages who stood above me in the light, which of all the sects was right and which I should join. I was answered that I must join none of them, for they were all wrong. And the personage who addressed me said that all their creeds were an abomination in his sight, that those professors were all corrupt. So here, why do you want to be called Christian when this is what he calls Christianity? He also said Christianity is of the devil. What is, what is it that inspires professors of Christianity generally with the hope of salvation? It is that smooth, sophisticated influence of the devil by which he deceives the whole world. Okay, that's what yeah. he says about Christianity. He wrote in the Book of Mormon, and we quote. First Nephi chapter 14, And he said unto me, Behold, there are saved two churches only. The one is the church of the Lamb of God, and the other is the church of the devil. Wherefore, whoso belongeth not to the church of the Lamb of God, belongeth to that great church, which is the mother of abominations, and she is the whore of all the earth. Whoa, now that's tough language yeah. to be saying about anybody that isn't in the Mormon church. And, and uh, we have yet to accuse the Mormon church of being the smooth, uh, uh, sophisticated, <laughs> sophisticated influence of the devil, or the church of the devil, or the whore of all the earth. But that's how they and their writers refer to everyone who isn't Mormon. So stop telling us that you don't teach your members to hate other religion. You should read some of the hate 
faith-filled letters that we receive from LDS church members. And when you continue to claim you're the only true church on the planet, and when the polygamy groups continue to claim that being in their group and living polygamy and being tied to their doctrine of the United Order is the only way to earn a place in celestial glory, you are telling lies about God, about Jesus, and about the Bible. And so we'll continue to fight for the truth. And finally, if we really hated you as you claim we do, we wouldn't even share the truth with you. We would just let you die believing the lie. Okay, that is... <laughs> that is answering the letter. We don't hate Mormons. We love you, and that's why. And we love the polygamous people. Okay, so that I want to thank you. Yeah, my pleasure. This was <laughs> for, fun. For sharing the show with us tonight. Um, someone said about the members of an abusive polygamous leader, those poor people, all they're doing is looking for God and they found a monster. Mm -hmm. Jesus said that these are false prophets uh, who are ravenous wolves in sheep's clothing. Based on what Jesus said, leaders of every Mormon polygamy group and our false teachers and false prophets, and we urge the followers of Joseph Smith to stop following a man and to seek the biblical God instead. Now he promises if we seek him with all our heart, he'll be, we'll be able to find him. There are many voices in the world that will lead us down the wrong path, but God has given us his word to guide us into all truth, and God will give understanding to everyone who will trust in him. Uh, the Bible tells us that Abraham believed God, and God counted that belief uh, for him to righteousness, and the works of Abraham uh, is just that, believing God, and we pray that you will believe the God of Abraham instead of Joseph Smith. Thank you for watching. This has been the audio podcast edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? This program is a production of A Shield and Refuge Ministry and Main Street Church of Brigham City. You can view current and past video episodes as well as download audio episodes of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. If you or someone you know is in need of assistance in leaving a polygamous situation, please contact us. We are here to help. All of our contact information can be found at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 877-425-9993. If you have any questions or comments about this or any of our other programs, we'd love to hear from you. Write us at email at whatloveisthis.tv. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again.